Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Black Brew. I'm Erin. And I'm Kendall. And we're your hosts today. Josh is not here because he is busy doing other stuff. But Kendall is was supposed to be a guest, but she'll just be filling in for today. So today we are going to talk about uh, true crime and the Gabby Petito case, just because some other things have been released since the very last time we recorded this episode, or recorded an episode about Gabby Petito in our season one of Black Brew. So we'll get into some more about that later. Um, but first, what we're going to talk about is just life in general, just Kendall and I are going to catch up because we are friends outside of like this podcast. So yeah, we'll just talk about life. So Kendall, um, how have you been? Uh, you know, I've been stressed, but things are looking up very well. I just moved in to my very first apartment. It's well, it's more of a townhome, but it, um, it's my very first place me and my boyfriend did. So that's, you know, very positive thing that's happened. Um, my classes are going well. I started a tutoring job a couple weeks ago and yeah, it feels like everything is falling into place for me. Maybe we'll see. Something is bound to, you know, ruin that. But what about you? What well, about you, Eric? Um well before I before I uh talk about me, how many rooms do you have in your apartment? I have two bedrooms. Is one of them a guest bedroom? Or do you or do you and your brother have your own separate bedrooms? So no. So um we have our bedroom and then we turn the second bedroom into like an office, but oh. we're thinking of getting the air mattress for my Aunt Pat's house and just keeping it over here because like my sister and my little brother have already been like, Can we come over? Can we come over? Well, I call I call dibs first. So I know. <laughs> I know. Like, literally Aaron, like Aaron is first dibs on everything. Like Aaron and I I, I even said Mallory. So like if the air mattress, if Aaron or Mallory's like, I'm coming over, I'm like, you got it. <laughs> the air mattress is ready. <laughs> um, well, I have been okay, I guess. Um, I texted you earlier this week, and I remember you had texted me and asked me what had happened. And I'm going to tell you what happened. I don't want to tell you at the time, because I was like, I ain't got time to text all this shit. So what happened was um, I was informed by someone in my uh department that like my summer funding my second year was not guaranteed um it's like that's weird because I'm supposed to you know study for my exams to be able to write my dissertation I'm expected to do it within a certain time frame and I was like but y'all also tell me that I'm not supposed to have a second job but I'm because I, I it will take time for my studying so how can I be expected to study for my exams to be able to write my dissertation and to also graduate, quote, on time if you don't guarantee me funding? And then I found out that apparently I make less than minimum wage in my area because in the DMV, minimum wage is $15 an hour. And that's like $28,000 a year full time. And I make way less than $28,000 a year. So. Oh, oh, that's a very common thing amongst um, like PhD students, because where I'm at, yeah, we get paid poverty wages. So oh, I am I know. not. When I got my offer letter from UA. I I saw it. <laughs> it was like thirteen thousand. <laughs> I was like, mm. 
Mm-hmm. Like literally, and that's like very common amongst other PhD students. Like there was this tweet that somebody in my cohort had sent me and this girl had tweeted, like, I get paid $36,000 for um, her stipend for her PhD program. She goes, striking works, guys. And I'm like, no, wait, girl, none of you live in Alabama. <laughs> like, come on. I mean, I like if if I were making what I'm making now in Alabama, I feel like I would be like very comfortable because I make for transparency, I make uh twenty two thousand dollars for every nine point five months. Um, but I feel like if I were living in Alabama and I was like, because the apartments there are very like cheap compared to or mm-hmm. compared to here, where my apartment, I pay for my rent with utilities included, plus my parking spot, I pay a total of 1300 just for like my apartment and my parking spot. But what pissed me off was that uh, I was like, how can they get away with this when they literally tell us X, Y, Z, X, Y, Z? Well, the whole fucking nine point, because I'm sure your contract says like your stipend is only valid for like 9.5 months, that cool academic year. So they're technically mm-hmm. going to pay us during those other 2.5 or whatever the other months is to equal out 12 months so that's why they that's how they can get away with it and I was just like this is so aggravating this is like so irritating I just like and I texted my friend I'm gonna say her. I texted <laughs> I, I don't know if she's gonna listen to this episode but I I texted you know what it's it's fine I texted my friend and the friend who I texted is I'm a uh is and I texted her I was like, I really want to like drop out of my program because I was telling my my other cohort friends, I was like, I feel like besides getting the chance to meet new people in my department who I became best friends with and getting the opportunity to teach, I low-key kind of feel like I regret doing this. Like, I feel like I don't even really like research. I feel like I am overworked and underpaid because I actually am. And I just like teaching and I like the friends I made. Other than that, I don't really like okay. the program. And she told me, she was like, oh, she said, you're so close. You can do it or whatever. And I was just like, but you are a teacher. And I know you've been seeing all these TikToks of these, you know, K through 12 teachers quitting their jobs after like one year because they don't want to live in a toxic environment. And I feel like, do people outside of academia know, like, this is not to say that academia is the only toxic place, but like, I feel like people outside of academia don't think that like, our like work environment is toxic and abusive because it is. And I feel like I'm tired of being abused and, you know, working in a toxic environment. And this is not even me mentioning like the racist homophobic stuff. This is just like just regular working Mm -hmm. environment with other people. I feel like I'm tired of doing that and I should not be expected to like continue. And I was like, so do you think like me being able, me getting the chance to be able to say Dr. Aaron Green is worth me having to like go through all of this like toxic bullshit you know there's something I really want to say not about that (laughs) but about the person about the person that you're texting but um it is um of the advice of my attorney that I keep my mouth shut so but anyways you know I was thinking that same thing the other day because like part of me is like gosh I is it even worth it because I'm just so tired and I'm just so exhausted from like how toxic academia can be and like how demanding it is but like at the same time 
I think it's kind of funny because like I don't even know if like I actually want to like go to like a big school and be a professor there I would rather go to a very small teaching school like Montevallo I would too yeah well I was gonna ask you like I like I I have no desire like I'm gonna apply to them just because like a job a check is a check honey so that's why I'm gonna apply for them but like I would yes if I had the option though I would prefer (laughs) to go to a small teaching school because that's what I like doing but like I I have all and I I feel like you have too I have also been having thoughts about like working outside of like academia and higher education as well because I'm like Mm -hmm. how long will I last (laughs) I know because the first time like I'm like when I'm trying to work on my tenure promotion thing I'm literally gonna be like I can't do this I'm gonna (laughs) gonna throw up like uh Dr. Eckelman and Dr. uh Dr. Beal posted their tenure promotion uh binders that they made and I was Wait, like Dr. Alcomen and Dr. Who? Dr. Beal. Oh, okay. Yeah. And I was like, what? I was like, you have to make a whole binder? You have to make an entire binder for that? And I just wanted to start crying because I was like, literally, what what if I just don't do anything? <laughs> like, because I'm like, I hate to say it, but like I am the kind of person that loves like not having shit to do. And so if I'm like, you know what, I got my PhD, I got my job, it's over with. I'm done. And then they're like, <laughs> how did your tenure promotion stuff coming along? I would have been like, Ugh, what? Well, I've been saying like, I've been thinking like, well, do I even want to like, like, do I, like, I don't want to go through the tender review process. Cause I just know it's going to be awful. It's going to be like, just like an awful experience because I know just having to like defend myself to like whatever colleagues I may have to be like, this is why you should give me job security. I just know it's just going to be a whole ordeal. And like, I know from my, like field, hazing. my yes. And I know from my, <laughs> my field specifically, like some of the stuff that I do, like if I if I get a job as a writing center director or like a program writing program director, like sometimes the people, depending on like the the committee, they may not see like me my writing center work being like considered like scholarship and intellectual work. They may just see it as like oh that's just like service work, so it doesn't really count as you being an intellectual, you being a scholar, and then that's gonna just be a whole annoying thing. But I'm like well maybe I just want to be an adjunct because I don't want to do research, and as an adjunct I won't be expected to do research. I don't have to serve with no committees. I don't do anything besides show up. Mm-hmm. I'm like, maybe I should just do that. But then I'll have to like teach like six classes like a semester to make like, what, like $30,000 versus me mm-hmm. tenure and making like 60 to 70,000. Oh, yeah. This is so stressful. Like literally, I uh, just imagine somebody listening to this podcast who was like, it's not in academia. And they're like, damn, like, what are these kids going through? <laughs> like they are going through it really bad. Okay. Like, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, so, you know, I've, I follow academic Twitter and people have been posting like all of their like acceptances and and rejections on Twitter. And there are a big crowd of people on on Twitter who are like, don't come to academia. It's awful. You shouldn't have applied. It's horrible here. There are no jobs. Everyone is shit. And like, there's people like, why can't you just let people enjoy stuff? Like we like, also what about the people who actually like it here? So I guess, so we don't like, what, we should talk about things that we do like about our careers in academia (laughs) (laughs) dead silence 
uh, it's like Patrick trying to order the, uh, something at the Krusty Krab, and he's like, oh, <laughs> like I can't think of anything. Oh shit, Kendall, can you really not think of anything? You know, okay, I take that back. I just now thought I was gonna think. I guess for me, it would be teaching you know, sharing my love of political science with, you know, somebody that is, you know, an undergrad and they're like, I have no idea what I want to do. And then they come to my class and then they realize that they want to major in political science. Maybe, maybe that's good. Cause that's what Dr. Eckelman did for me because I took her class and I was like, oh, I'm swapping to political science. And I have been the same ever since. Yeah, that worked on me too for about literally a semester. And then I took Carl Jordan's <laughs> research methods and I started dropping. God, research methods. I literally have not had a good research methods class. And I think it's just because nothing clicks for me. And because when I had research methods, that was when Dr. Dorfler was out on he wasn't out on sabbatical, but he was out for like a semester. And so I was like, Okay, so Dr. Eggleman's bestie, um, Dr. I can't remember his last name. He was really nice, though. I love him. He taught it, and I just don't think I understand how to do research methods. And they, and because I also took a research methods intro course for my PhD program, and the only thing that I did that I can remember because I didn't really learn anything, was that I had to write a paper about a song about an international relations conflict. And I literally wrote about Prince's song, 1999, and how that was about um, nuclear warfare and the end of the world. Didn't we both take research methods class at the same time? Because I took one last semester. I took one my first semester. You didn't take one last semester? No, I took one my first semester in oh, my PhD program. I took a research yeah. class in last semester and it was, it was, oh God, probably the worst experience of my entire life. I will say, oh my God, when you, <laughs> when you do teaching, um, cause I have a student in my class now that I'm teaching. He took my class last semester and I found out that he actually, like, he was an undeclared major, but then he declared a major in English. And it just made oh. me so, because I was the only English class that he took. So, obviously, he, and he told me, it's like, yeah, you're the reason why I took this class, because I like your class last semester. And so, like, I talked, like, I, we talked about Nicki Minaj. And, like, I just, when I see their little, like, cute little faces, like, light up when we do something fun that they enjoy and that they're actually learning things, it, that makes it worth it. And that's like literally probably yeah. thing that makes it worth it. But I'm like, yeah. drop out, get your master's and go teach at a community college. But I'm like, I don't know if it would be the same. I though. mean, like, yeah, that's what I also thought of. But then I was like, I could just master out with comps and just get me a job somewhere. Yeah. You know, like a, like a, um, I almost said a law firm. Heck no. Uh, a, like an advocacy group or something like Southern that's Poverty I'm Center. Thinking- I would do like even if I get a PhD and I get out, I can't find a chance if I can't find like a job teaching, I would try to find a job at some kind of advocacy group, policy center, or something like that. Like hire us Southern Poverty Law Center. Yes. Hashtag we love Southern Poverty Law Center. Can you just a side note, can you hear this loud ass train? No. You can't. Gosh, it is so loud. I'm like so insecure about it. I'm like <laughs> 
I am. I'm like, oh God, somebody's going to hear this train and be like, is that a dying whale or something? Okay, before we move into our uh, other topic, I wanted to say, Kendall, last night I had the uncontrollable urge to like have a boyfriend. I don't know what it is. Because <laughs> I, I don't know what it is because I've like for the last four years, I have not wanted to have a partner. I've just wanted to have casual sex with people. But now I don't know what it is in me. It is like my friend said, she was like, are you like emotionally ovulating? I don't know what it is, but I want a boyfriend. <laughs> oh my God. I don't know why. I'm like, I just kind of very want. unlike you. I know. They were like, why do you want a boyfriend? I was like, I just want to be able to say, like, oh, look at my boyfriend. I can update my Facebook status. <laughs> I know. It's like really fun. It's like really fun to post on Instagram about like your boyfriend and stuff. Because like I love posting about Noah because I'm like, Oh. like I like to come up with like cute captions and stuff I like to take cute photos of him he's really cute even I though to dinner with someone and because like, I don't have any friends that are like single up here really so like well I have one friend who's single but I I don't want to like overwhelm her with every like every single day like hang out with me so all of my other friends are like either married or taken I was like I want someone to go to the movies with I want someone to eat dinner with I want someone I don't know I don't know Anyway, we have to move on to our next topic, which is okay. Gabby Tito. So I don't know anything about these updates. So I will let you tell me about everything that has happened since our last episode. We talked about it. All right. So just to give a recap of who Gabby Petito is or who, who she is and what the situation was. So Gabby Petito was this um, very young girl. She was in her early 20s and she went on a cross-country road trip in her van with her boyfriend, Brian Laundry, And together they were starting this thing called Nomadic Static. They were doing um, a, a van life vlog. Like they wanted it to be van life vloggers. And so they were trying to get that together. And all of a sudden, uh, Gabby kind of, she kind of goes MIA for a bit and her family gets really concerned and come to find out Brian had, had taken the van and drove it all the way across the country back to Northport, Florida, where him and Gabby had been living with his parents and he showed up without Gabby. And so it turned into a huge media frenzy, um, it really stirred up a lot of drama within, I hate to say the word drama, but a lot of controversy within the true crime community. And um, there was a huge, huge manhunt that went on for weeks to look for Brian Laundry because he went into this national park in Florida and his parents took him there, left him there, and he went out there by himself. And then it ended and it ended in a way that a lot of people were very unhappy about. And that was Brian Laundry had committed suicide. And, but recently it has come out that in Brian Laundry's suicide note, he admitted to killing Gabby. And so he admitted to that. And he also admitted that he used her cell phone to make it look like that she was still alive. Mm. And that's pretty much all that we know really right now <laughs> okay so what is this stuff that i'm seeing um if i like google like gabby potato i see stuff about uh like uh fraud bank fraud charges I guess. oh okay so um basically he brian 
but while he was uh when, while Gabby was dead, he had used um her cards, like her bank cards, um, like her debit card, credit card, whatever, to buy things along the way. And so because he was using something in her name, they were trying to get him to come in. This is like a tactic to like try to get him to come into the station to talk about like what happened to Gabby. So they put out a warrant for his arrest based based on uh, fraud charges, like financial fraud charges. And because now he's dead, they have to drop the charges. Ah, okay, okay. Yeah. Okay, and what is the true crime community saying about this? You know, the true crime community has been very silent. And I'm very surprised because... You know, this was so big at the time and it it kind of it kind of pisses me off a little bit because at the time when this was so big, everybody had their opinion to put in. And yeah. then now that we know, I mean, like we all assume that like he did it. He had to have done it, especially because, you know, he committed suicide. Like we were all like, okay, he did it. And but now that it's come out that like these few little details, I really haven't seen anything at all. And I'm just like, just because it's not like, you know, buzzworthy anymore doesn't mean it shouldn't be talked about because, you know, it was such, you know, to think about it, it's such a tragedy, you know, what happened to her. But at the same time, a lot of people have kind of taken the situation and have made light of the fact that, oh, if it's like, um, you know, a white girl then she's going to get all kinds of media attention, but we don't give the same media attention to missing, um, in, missing and murdered indigenous women. Yeah. 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 Which is very true. No, nobody. And I'm not denying that, but I feel like, you know, even when that whole conversation came about during the Gabby Petito case, there, nobody has really made an effort to talk about it to talk about missing and murdered indigenous peoples or even, you know, and I haven't really seen anything about it. Like I've heard of like a few podcast episodes and stuff like Crime Junkie um, has released a few since that, um, maybe like one or two, but overall I have not seen anybody, you know, like if somebody had, you know, tried to talk the talk, they sure as hell have not walked the wall because, you know, I haven't seen anything about missing a murdered indigenous woman. So I'm also very disappointed in that as well. Yeah, I feel like I I, I also have not seen anything about like missing murdered indigenous women. Um, and I I was co-teaching a class last semester, a feminist theory class. And one of my mm-hmm. projects on missing uh, white women syndrome, um, specifically about the Gabby Petito case. And she like told mm-hmm. me that as well. And like, I wonder like if the reason why like, people don't like talk about like uh, missing and murdered indigenous women is because like it is kind of politically charged in the sense that like um, the indigenous women themselves are not like uh, politically polarizing, but like Mm -hmm. uh, I feel like if you were going to talk about this topic, you would have to at least like talk about the fact that nobody else is like reporting on this stuff because of like whatever kind of like racist system that we're living in that does not uh take into account or even acknowledge or care about indigenous people 
And I feel like I don't usually like find or I guess like um, expect true crime uh, like uh, podcasters, commentators to be uh, politically like engaged in the stuff that they're like reporting on. But I feel like with such a topic like that, you would like need to talk about it. And I feel like when you just talk about like uh, white women going missing or being murdered, mm-hmm. not as like politically charge as like indigenous people are like talking about true crime about you know like uh murdered uh other people of color who are like murdered and stuff like that or any other marginalized Mm -hmm. because i feel like you like if i were to do a true crime podcast i want to talk about the fact that okay i'm reporting on this you know missing and or murder indigenous uh girl woman and i want it to be known that like nothing is happening about this case because we live in a racist society that does not care about the people who were here before us after we colonized their land. So I feel like that in my mind, that is probably why nobody is talking about missing and murder indigenous women. Yeah, I think that that could also be the case. But also like those who are like really, really into, you know, true crime and like advocacy work and stuff. I feel like that you could, I feel like you could look it up, you know, like, I feel like there has to be some kind of advocacy group out there that is doing this kind of work to like put out this information about missing and murdered, uh, missing and murdered indigenous peoples, because, you know, somebody out there has to be, I personally don't know of any, any group that does that, but like somebody has to be because, there's just there's just no way that you know we're all just stuck in the dark here because and also I think it also you know has to do with like what kind of media you consume Mm -hmm. because you know if you paid more attention to Gabby Petito then you're probably only concerned about Gabby Petito whereas you are not concerned about other crime cases unless if they're like big like Gabby Petito well, I, so I took a, um, a Native American literature class my very first semester in graduate school and mm-hmm. we talked about how in like every kind of like facet of society, like, uh, so indigenous people, they're suffering continually still not, did not end, but settler colonialism is still like a thing for them. And um, the, we, it was a black and Native American literature class. We talked about how black people from slavery, their like main like uh, form of oppression from like white supremacy was like dehumanization and like their like chattel slavery. And they we talked about with natives that their main form of oppression was this uh, wiping out their land and wiping out their people and just like erasing them from history like altogether and how that can like transcend to different points in our society. And so if we think about like the media not covering it it's just like another way to like further erase indigenous people because if no one I like I I feel like I mm-hmm. I like uh watch and read uh very like reputable like news sources because like I know about like obviously getting like good accurate sources like I teach about this but like mm-hmm. I I 
I don't, I don't see anything about it. Like I don't read anything about it. And I barely hear anything about it from like tr the true crime stuff that I do consume. So, I mean, which is not a lot, but like I still read like the news. And I remember when Gabby Petito, when the Gabby Petito case happened, it was on like almost every single news station, every single news like magazine online was publishing about it. But I hear mm -hmm. I didn't squat about it until people on social media started saying like, you know, okay, this is a white woman missing. Why has no one been talking about like, you know, these indigenous women. And then like after that, it went away. And no one has talked about indigenous women since because for some reason we as a society still have to continue to erase them. I just want to put on the record here that Aaron said the phrase Jack Diddley squat. That is a very <laughs> Southern phrase. And I, was, and I have been sitting here thinking about it for the past 30 seconds. Like, did he, did they just say Jack Diddley squat? I did. When did your Alabama my, come out of you? When it came out of my mouth, I was like, you know what? You know what's in my mind when it came out of my mouth? I said, I have been talking on the phone too much with Leslie. That's what that is. It's <laughs> <laughs> what that is. It's Leslie's fault. <laughs> it's all their fault. <laughs> I don't, I've never said that before in my life. <laughs> <sighs> literally this reminds me of the time i'm so sorry to get off topic like a very serious topic but this reminds me of the time when we were sitting in the car and strawberry wine by deanna carter came on and you were like oh i know this song <laughs> <laughs> and i screamed i, mean, I was so like aaron knows a country song wait pause okay today i was in target and i was on the phone with leslie and a country song came on and i started singing it what song was it it was um any man of mine better walk the line. Shut yeah. up. That is so funny. I, I was singing it. I was like, damn, I knew a country song. <laughs> That's what happens when you work at Texas Roadhouse. Oh, don't even get me started. Oh, God. Oh, Do you God. still remember the boot scoot and boogie dance? I, I, hold up. Let me think. I don't think so. It's don't you do it along with the song like heel toe do -si do oh, come on baby that. let's go yeah you do i i think i also remember all jacked up all jacked up wow yeah. <laughs> no. oh my god see what's so funny about this is that you claim that y'all would dance every time i've gone to texas roadhouse <laughs> i have not seen one dance not okay. even from one person so i will say it's like have you did you ever see them dance pre-COVID? Because I know they kind of stopped doing it post, like COVID started happening because they were very short staff and stuff. So that could be the reason. Okay. Because I was talking to Brianna, who's still working there. And she told me she went in one day and it was going to only be two service in the whole Texas Roadhouse. Yeah. Two people can't be doing the boot scoot and boogie up in there. <laughs> There's just not, just not enough people to boot scoot and boogie. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, um, we are almost out of time. So uh, uh, thank you for coming on, Kendall. Um, before we Thanks leave, for I having do, me. No, before we leave, I have a question. I want to confront you about something. All right, go ahead. Go ahead. What is it about? <laughs> I know we just got done bitching about uh, academia, but when are we writing our paper together? <gasps> oh, my gosh. When are we writing a paper together? Oh, my gosh. Hmm. Hmm. I feel like since you know, both, it's gotta be soon. I feel like since we both have some form of like executive dysfunction, 
I feel like our first step should be one, coming up with a topic, and then two, coming up, finding a journal that we can that we want to submit to. And then after that, we that should be, we shouldn't think about anything else besides a topic and a journal for us. And then after that, then we can go from there. Yes. Literally, whoever listens to this podcast, like comment, like keep us, keep us accountable, hold us accountable. Comment that we need to get started on this because this is something that that has been in the works for like three years and we have (laughs) not done it like we have gone from literally talking about we should do a paper about oj simpson oh my god i remember that (laughs) gosh gosh our literally us debating oj simpson is like the funniest thing ever like we need to have a podcast episode on either one of our podcasts just debating oj simpson like (laughs) so i mean all i have to say is if the glove doesn't fit you must first of all i don't think oj did it and i'm gonna tell you why i don't think he did it i don't think he did because i actually believe in those conspiracy theories i do believe that his son did it and he's covering for his son Okay, see that is that's pretty believable, but I also think he had he has what Aaron Hernandez has, and that's um, I almost said CRT. That is definitely not what it is. Girl. <laughs> that is definitely not what it is. What is it? It's um, um, it's like a very, it's like a traumatic brain injury that like, because like football players when they get yeah. hit in the head oh, over and yeah. over, mm-hmm. yeah it's it's got a name for it and i i cannot remember what it is but it was found that aaron hernandez had had it when um he had died because they did like brain scans and stuff and they also did the same thing with um wwe wrestler chris benoit and it turned out he also had it and let me tell you it is like it's crazy that because literally it'll like make you do it'll make you act out it'll make you do crazy stuff and like one minute you're completely fine and then you act out and then the next minute CTE CTE that's what it's called yeah yes that's that's exactly what it is yes yes it's it's crazy it is very serious is but I think because I remember remember me sending that video to you and I was like oh look like don't this is very very believable isn't it kind of ironic that we got to talking about a black man who supposedly killed a white woman after we just got to talking about a white woman dying? Yeah, I know. I know. It's really bad. Oh, I do have but, one other question for you. So, um, yeah, what's up? Have you, have you read, have you started reading the abolitionist book? So, no, I haven't. I, well, actually, I have, but I haven't got past the um, intro to it, but the intro is really good. I can okay. tell that it's going to be a great What you thought about the what you've read so far? No, it's really good. It's even though, like, even like in the first few pages that I've read, it's given me a lot to think about. Um, especially that I think we had chatted about it for a little bit. It was um, the thing about George Floyd, where she kind of posed the question, like, "What if George Floyd had survived? Would we have oh, talked mm-hmm. about it as much as we did?" And I was like, "That's very interesting." And I sat there and I thought about that for a very long time, and. I was like, hmm. I mean, it makes a lot of sense. I've cried after reading each chapter. Um, I was going to start reading the next chapter tonight, but I, I have literally cried after each chapter. It's, <laughs> it's like so emotional. So Yeah, I can tell it's probably going to be really heavy because 
um, the author gets really, really personal because they uh, talk about like, um, like where they grew up and like how they grew up and what their family was like. And the first one and like the people that um, they've, that they've had in their life who've been shot and people like, it's just awful. Like, I'm just like, Oh gosh, this is about to be very emotionally heavy. Yeah. Uh, for the people who are listening, the book that we're talking about is a book called Becoming Abolitionist Police Protest in the Pursuit of Freedom by Derricka Prunell. Okay, Kendall, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having me. Hopefully you'll come back again. This time, hopefully Josh will be here. Yes, it's not a party without Josh. I know. <laughs> I will say, I will say, out of all the episodes, well, I've only done this once. The I've done. Well, no, I haven't. I've done like I've done a podcast without Josh a couple times with some people. Um, Leslie has usually always been a success as well. We had multiple episodes. I did it once with Mary, and I listened to it, and like I was just like, it's just not giving the kind of like lively energy that like I need for the podcast. So. Yeah, because Josh has like a lot of funny comments that uh, you know are good, especially when you're talking about like you know tea and things yeah. like that. Yeah. But when it's something serious, like Josh is like, he gets so wired and so wound up, it is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it does. <laughs> All right, everyone, <laughs> remember to follow us on our Instagram at Black Brew Podcast. If you'd like to be a guest on our show, you can DM us on Instagram or email us at podcastytime1 at gmail.com. You can follow us. No, not follow us. You can also give us a rating and review on Spotify, on Apple Podcasts, and wherever you listen to your podcast. And we will see you next week. Goodbye. Bye.